I'd ask that you would open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. We say goodbye to our friend this evening. The last time I think we reflected on this book was two weeks ago, and we reflected on um, the first half, or maybe the first 80, 75, 80% of chapter 3. Tonight we are going to meditate on the conclusion. So you'll be turning to Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to read verses, uh, verse 1 to the end of the chapter, but our sermon text itself will be verses 16 through 19. And you'll remember that um, this, this last chapter is a psalm, and it really envisions God as a warrior um, who's coming to the rescue of his people. And then it ends with um, Habakkuk's reflection on all that he's learned and upon um, God coming as a warrior to save him as well. With those things said, Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and inspired word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's come before the Lord and pray. Lord, we would ask for your help this evening. You've provided us in your word with all kinds of different texts. Some of it is poetry. Lord, you're so artistic. We love the way you use words. And yet, Lord, we would call on you and we are counting on you to help us to understand. And so we pray that you would help us to think, to look at your text, to see what it says. Lord, we would ask that you would give us discernment. We would ask that you would teach us. We'd ask that you would speak us and speak to us. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, would you help us to see Jesus? Would you help us to know how to walk by faith? And we would ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. John G. Payton, you might have heard of him. John G. Payton was a missionary of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Scotland And he was ordained to the church as a missionary in 1858. And he served among the cannibals of the New Hebride Islands, which is just northeast of Australia. And Peyton married his wife, Mary, shortly after he was ordained. And then the newlyweds boarded a ship for a six-month journey to the New Hebrides. This happened really fast. He was like ordained in March. They were married in April and on that ship the same month. When they arrived, Mary was pregnant. And three months later, after their arrival, their son Peter was born. But just 19 days later, Mary died from a tropical fever followed by their newborn 17 days later. And Peyton buried his wife and his child together close to the house that he had built in those three months. And then he spent nights sleeping on their grave to protect them from local cannibals. How do believers live by faith when they're going through this kind of adversity? Like this kind of darkness, how do they keep going? Habakkuk had to undergo different but equally tragic circumstances when the Babylonians invaded Judah. Verse 16 says that uh, the invasion would be so severe that it made the prophet's lips quiver, his His teeth shattered and his body trembled. And yet in verse 18, you see that he rejoiced in the Lord. Habakkuk started 
This book depressed and doubting God's justice. And by this point in the book, he's living with confidence in God. In this text, Habakkuk aims to teach his readers what he's learned about living and walking through faith and through adversity. He teaches us how to respond to adversity with faith. So we're going to ask, what does this text say about responding to adversity? And we will begin with our first heading, which is faith responds with patience. Faith responds with patience. The book of Habakkuk opens with the prophet asking God to remove wickedness and injustice from the nation. And God responded by saying that he was going to chastise his people severely. He was going to correct them by sending a violent invasion by a cruel and bloodthirsty enemy. And the prophet knows how many of his people are are going to die How many of them are going to go into exile? He knows the land will be ruined and that Jerusalem will be burned. He knows that the temple will be desecrated and destroyed. And Habakkuk cries out against this news. His initial reaction is fear. He's not thinking clearly, and for a moment he forgets that God is good and wise and just. But the Lord, he is long-suffering, he is compassionate, and God tells Habakkuk that Judah will be corrected and that afterward he is going to bring judgment against Babylon for their sin. And the prophet closes the book with a psalm that envisions the devastation that will come upon Judah, but it it pictures the Lord coming from Mount Sinai like a warrior for the salvation of his people. And having heard the Lord's responses to his complaints, the book ends with Habakkuk's reaction to their interchange. In verse 16, Habakkuk writes, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. You see, the prophet understands that there is no escaping the cruelty of the Babylonians, and it's demonstrated in his flesh. It's demonstrated in how his body responds. And this is what happens when we are confronted with horrible news. You become nauseous. You can't eat. You can't sleep. Sometimes you're overcome with sobbing. Your body trembles and shakes. You try to cry and you try to act or hope that maybe someone doesn't see, but they can see you shaking. You can't help it. The news makes you feel physically sick. Habakkuk shudders because he can see the terrible devastation that God's people will undergo. And yet he tells God that he'll trust him no matter what happens. Look how he ends verse 16. Even though the providence you've asked me to endure is going to be devastating, yet I will quietly wait 
for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. The prophet says, even though I don't want to go through this, yet I will wait quietly for your word to be fulfilled. I believe you, Lord. I trust you. I'll submit to your will. I'll walk in faith and obedience. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was under a terrible amount of stress, right? Luke tells us that he was under so much stress that he was sweating great drops of blood. Why? Do you remember? I mean, you remember why. Like like Habakkuk, he knew the judgment was coming. He knew that he was going to have to die bearing the wrath of God for the sins of his people. And like Habakkuk, Jesus knew that he would be saved. He knew that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. And so he was. But first, he had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus walked through it by faith. He walked in obedience. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy by any means. It was painful. Habakkuk says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. He'll wait patiently for God to fulfill His promises. Galatians 5 says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. One of the marks of faith is a willingness to wait patiently for the Lord as He fulfills His promises. No matter what you see and no matter how you feel, Wait upon God to work. Abraham was promised that he had a son, but he ran out of patience, didn't he? And when he ran out of patience, he got himself in trouble. Abraham learned a lesson when he married Hagar and fathered Ishmael instead of waiting for the child of promise. Be patient when you encounter adversity. Be patient. Maybe you have a deep desire to be married and you feel like you're never going to meet the right person. Or perhaps your heart aches to have children, but so far you've been unable to do it. You've been unable to conceive. Or maybe you look at the problems that are going on in the presbytery or how they've handled things and you've just about given up hope, whatever the case, be patient. Be patient. Give the Lord time to work. When Habakkuk looked around, he saw a nation heading for destruction. When he looked around, everything seemed to be falling apart. And when he looked within, he saw himself, a man who was trembling and broken with fear. But when he looked up in faith, he saw the Lord, the Lord who is faithful. Walking by faith means trusting the Lord and patiently waiting upon him. When you find yourself anxious and becoming impatient, 
you can be sure that you need to stop and pray and wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Faith responds to adversity with patience. And faith responds with praise. That's our second heading. Faith responds with praise. Well, you know that Judah was an agrarian economy. They survived by cultivating the land. Uh, They derived most of their sustenance by growing crops such as figs and grapes and olives and other produce from the field. And they also relied upon about or for or with caring for their livestock, uh, flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle. Uh, Habakkuk has seen the consequences of the coming invasion. The invasion is going to be brutal. The armies will come like a horde of locusts and consume Judah's beauty and productivity and pleasure. They'll leave behind a hungry nation and a broken economy. They'll leave the land unproductive and barren. The ravages of war are going to leave the land desolate. In verse 17, Habakkuk sees Judas, uh, Judah's future. He says, The fig tree will not blossom. There will be no fruit on the vines. The olive crops will fail. They won't be able to grab, uh, gather any food from the fields. The flocks will be gone, and they will no longer have cattle in their stalls. By the time Babylon is done with Judah, there won't be much left. Buildings will be destroyed and burned. Their treasures will be plundered and carried off to Babylon. Their farms and orchards will be devastated. The economy will be falling apart. As you consider verse 17, you'll notice that Habakkuk is honest about these things. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He acknowledges his losses and he begins to list them. He doesn't lie to himself. He doesn't bottle up his feelings in any way. He couldn't if he tried. The anxiety is taking a toll on his body. He's shaking involuntarily. I mean, he is mourning his losses. He sees them. He acknowledges them. He mourns them. But even if the economy fails and society collapses, Habakkuk sees that ultimately his existence does not depend on them, but upon God. The prophet openly recognizes his coming loss, but believes nonetheless. God can preserve faith even in the darkest times. Beginning at verse 17, the text says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk begins by saying, though the land is stripped of all these things, and then he finishes saying, yet I will have joy in God. 
There's great satisfaction for God's people when they find it in God Himself. Habakkuk's joy is grounded in the relationship God has with this people. Everything can be taken away from Habakkuk, but you can never deprive him of his relationship with God. Habakkuk's relationship is intimate and personal. You can see that. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk couldn't rejoice in his circumstances, but he could rejoice in God. The prophet's testimony reminds us of the Apostle Paul's exhortation. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul gives three commands, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Christians ought to have joy. Not a natural joy that's dependent upon circumstances, but a supernatural joy that comes from being in Christ. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And your connection to Christ should give you joy, but also cause you to pray without ceasing. God wants you to stop looking to yourself and look to Him for your needs. You should always be conscious of your dependence upon God. If you've given your life to Christ, then He has purchased you and everything has changed. You belong to Him. God's loving purpose is being worked out in your life. Even in circumstances, you're not inclined to welcome. You see this demonstrated by Paul and Silas when they are imprisoned in Rome. Do you remember that? In Acts, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and then they are beaten with rods and they are thrown into a Philippian dungeon. And what do we find them doing in that dungeon? They're singing praise, aren't they? They're, they're singing psalms. They sang because they knew they were prisoners of Christ and not of Rome. Likewise, Habakkuk is being conquered, but he could rejoice because his heart was being conquered by God. God has transformed Habakkuk. He's transformed him from a complaining prophet to a rejoicing prophet. This is a work of God's grace. How else could a person be happy and content when they face the kinds of calamities that Habakkuk is about to undergo? By God's grace, Habakkuk responds to adversity with praise. And he's able to do this through power which is provided by God. You see, faith responds with power. That's our third heading. Faith responds with power. The vision God gave Habakkuk had its effect on him. Any strength or confidence that he possesses comes from the Lord. Habakkuk has found sure footing through faith. 
He doesn't hope or believe in what he sees, but in what he has heard as promises from the Lord. In verse 19, Habakkuk says, God, the Lord, is my strength. How is the Lord his strength? How is God your strength? Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God superintended every word in it. How did God choose to describe himself in Habakkuk chapter 3? He chose to describe himself as a warrior, as your warrior. Verse 9 says, You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. And as you scan the text, scan between verses 12 and 15, you see how God is actively fighting for his people. Look at the sentences that begin with the word you. You marched through the earth. You went out for the salvation of your people. You crushed the head. You pierced. You trampled. God is a warrior who fights for his people. That is how God is a strength to Habakkuk. That is how he is a strength to you. He fights for you. Habakkuk recognizes that God is his strength, and that is because God has done a work in his heart. The Lord has reorganized the things that Habakkuk loves so that they're in the proper order. God has strengthened him by providing him with a measure of faith that is equal to the challenges that he must face. You can see evidence of this in verse 18. Habakkuk's joy is in the Lord. And you could also see it in the description of Habakkuk's legs and feet. In verse 16, Habakkuk's legs are trembling beneath him, right? But in verse 19, God makes his feet like a deer's. In verse 19, Habakkuk writes, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. The prophet says that God is transforming his legs. He's equipped him with strong and stable legs and feet that will enable him to traverse the rough terrain. When you think about deer, God has given them exactly what they need. He's equipped them with strong legs and feet. They're fast and sure-footed, right? They're nimble and untiring. When a deer is being hunted, even in a thick forest, he runs through the tree, the trees at full speed, dodging and weaving through the trees, sure-footed, leaping over rocks. Sometimes you feel like prey, don't you? You sense the danger of being hunted by Satan and stalked by the world. And if that's not bad enough, sometimes it feels like the most dangerous enemy is within. Your old sin nature pursues you like a skilled trapper, setting up snares, 
taunting your flesh and seeking your destruction. But God strengthens his people. He provides for them. He enables them to maneuver through trials and tribulations. He equips them to run the course by faith and endure. And in him, they have victory. Habakkuk is echoing David's psalm of triumph, his psalm of triumph when he was delivered from all of his enemies. In Psalm 18, verse 33, David says, He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. But when you are in the shadows, it seems impossible. Victory seems impossible. Getting out of the trial can seem impossible. When John Payton arrived in the New Hebrides with his pregnant wife, Mary, he had no idea what was about to befall him. He had no idea that three months later, the child would be born. 19 days later, his wife would die. 17 days later, their newborn would die. How could he survive? In his autobiography, he writes, Stunned by the dreadful loss in entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for a time almost to give way. But the ever-merciful Lord sustained me. And that spot, and that very spot where my wife and my son were buried became my sacred and much-frequented shrine during all of the following months and years when I labored on for the salvation of the islanders amid difficulties, injuries, and death. But for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died besides their lonely graves. The Lord sustained Patton through this extraordinary loss. And, and Payton, he, he returned to Scotland. And when he returned, he got remarried. He got himself back together and he, he returned to the New Hebrides, this time to a neighboring island, the island of Anawa. And God enabled the Paytons to serve on that island for 41 more years. And they saw the entire island converted. Anawa is now present-day Vanuatu, and to this day, to this very day, 85% of the population identify as Christian. John Payton learned what Habakkuk had learned so many years before. You can rely on the Lord to give you strength and to endure and to overcome difficulties. The book of Habakkuk, it it wasn't amended to show how God fulfilled his prophecies in history. We aren't given specifics regarding Israel's hour of triumph. We aren't told about their return to the land and how they rebuilt. Instead, the book concludes by walking in faith. 
the book of Habakkuk is about life. It's about the human experience of struggling with trials and hardships of this life. It's about the life of faith that travels through suffering. It's about the Lord who shows us patience, gives us his word, and comes to our rescue. The book begins with depression and doubt and ends with trust and confidence. It begins with complaint and distress, but ends with joy and victory. Habakkuk teaches us to face our doubts and questions honestly and take them humbly before the Lord. It teaches us to wait for God's word and to instruct us and to worship the Lord no matter how we feel or what we see. And as Habakkuk brings this book to an end, he aims to teach his readers what he's learned about living through adversity. He teaches his readers how to respond to adversity with faith. How should you respond when conflict arises? Be patient. Give the Lord time to work. Give Him time to answer you. Praise Him for His goodness. Cherish your relationship with God. Make Him your priority. The unrivaled love of your life. Rely upon God to give you strength. Ask Him to equip and empower you. Ask Him to come to your rescue. Faith responds to adversities with eyes fixed on the gospel, fixed on Jesus, who has made us more than conquerors. Faith responds to adversity with patience, praise, and power. Amen.